Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. John Owen once said, All the rage, blood, confusion, desolations, cruelties, oppressions, and disasters which fill the world to this day, by which the souls of men have been swept into eternal destruction, have all arisen from an ignorance of God. I would agree with this statement, as do the scriptures, I believe. And as we read the history of the world and the headlines of today, it would seem as though there is much ignorance of God in our world, because there is much destruction, confusion, pain, and violence. But if the ultimate problem is that we are ignorant of God, then the solution would be to know God. Now, by knowing God, I don't mean a mere assent that he exists or a sort of indefinable idea of happy feelings that there's some higher power. No, I mean but a real knowledge like best friends know each other or a husband and a wife or a parent and a child. A deep, personal, intimate knowledge. But how can we finite creatures know the infinite God? How can we fickle people know the unchanging one? How can we sinful men and women know the holy, pure, all-consuming fire? How can we who are bound by space and time know the one that rules over space and time? How can we know God? Well, as C.S. Lewis wrestled with these questions in his own life, he was not sure that he could know God any more personally than Hamlet could know Shakespeare. Shakespeare's all around Hamlet, created him, owns him. But how can Hamlet ever break free from the world that he's in to talk to, to look at, and to personally know Shakespeare? Could it be possible? Well, Lewis eventually, by God's mercy, came to realize that though Hamlet could never break out of his world to know God, or to know Shakespeare, sorry, and find him, but that Shakespeare could actually write himself into the play to know Hamlet. This is the great miracle of the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, that God has written himself into the play of history in the person of Jesus to become its central character and its great hero. But this isn't simply a play, it's the reality. But if God was going to actually come into history, how would he do it and why would he do it? That's what we're going to look at tonight briefly. How can we know God? Well, to know that, we need to know how did God come and why did God come? And we see these truths in this passage tonight. So first, how did God come? Well, simply put, God came in the person of Jesus. Now, this means two distinct things that are both plain in our text tonight. God came in the person of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is divine. And God came in the person of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is human. We see this start in verse 6, where Paul says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
Now, Paul here is explaining glorious theological truths about the divinity of Jesus. But he's not doing that in the abstract. He's doing that with a purpose to teach Christians how to be humble. That's why I started the passage in verse 4. He's teaching Christians how to be humble. So when Paul says that Jesus humbled himself, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, he means by that that Jesus laid aside what was rightfully his, acting as though he is equal with God, to come in humility. Now, as an example of that, if I said, today I'm not going to act like the president, that would not be an exercise in humility. That would simply be true, because I'm not the president. However, if Barack Obama came in here and sat in the back, didn't demand any attention, brought no secret service with him, and just sat as a regular citizen among us, that would be an exercise in humility because he actually is the president. He'd be acting as though he's not. That's what Paul means when he says this about Jesus. It's humility for Jesus to come in the way he does because Jesus is actually God. He's equal with God. And this is not only the testimony of this passage, but the sum of the Scripture's teaching about Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says that He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Speaking of Jesus, he says, the author of Hebrews says that He is the glory of God manifest. The radiance, the image, the picture of all God's perfections. To see the radiance of the sun in our universe is to see the sun itself. And to see the radiance of God's glory, Jesus, is to see God's glory. The sum and substance of his character and worth. The fullness of his perfections. Colossians 1, 15-19 echoes this very same truth. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What a glorious picture of Jesus. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, being God himself, the second person of the Trinity, made manifest in Jesus of Nazareth. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because Jesus is God. There can be no true discussion or thoughts or worship of God that doesn't center around Jesus, because Jesus is God. God shares his glory with no one but himself. And the clear meaning of this passage and the testimony of all of Scripture is that Jesus is in fact divine. It's very common in our culture around this time of year to talk of Jesus, to think of him at the Christmas time, and to remember that this is the day we celebrate 
when a great man was born, who's taught us much to live, much about how to live and to love. But this passage paints a very different picture. This is not a mere man, but the one true living God of the universe who has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, and that he deserves our worship. He is not a mere man, but the second thing that this passage shows us is that God came in the person of Jesus, meaning Jesus is a man, is human. The sovereign king of the universe came in the person of Jesus. And he did not come in a form like God, or in power like a king, or in glory like a ruler. No, he came in humility as a man, as a servant, and as an infant. As an infant. Just let the weight of that hit. Paul says he made himself nothing giving up the rights to comfort, glory, rule, and honor, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is incredible. Just imagine the wonder and awe at the angelic host that, first of all, God would just take notice at rebellion, rebellious sinners like us. That he would just notice us and not come in judgment, but come in mercy. And then beyond noticing us, that he would take on flesh as one of us. And not just that he would take on flesh and come as a king, a man, a full-grown man, a ruler, but that he would start like all men start, as an infant. It's incredible, in utter dependence as an infant. I have two young boys, and this has made me wonder more and more that God would do this as I hold my children that are utterly dependent upon me, it's incredible that the God of the universe would come as an infant. The one that we just talked about, who's clothed in all glory, who knows and has planned every moment of time, who knows every particle in the universe that the best technology can't even see, who knows every hair on every head, of every person who ever lived, willingly chose to take on flesh and be born into the world in the person of Jesus as an infant. A helpless infant who depends on his mother and father for life. The spoken word of God that created the world would now cry and babble incoherently as an infant. The self-sufficient, sovereign ruler of all would grow up listening to the commands of one that he created. The giver of all life would be dependent upon another for life. And the incarnation, I I fail to realize all the time that the incarnation was not just this one-time quick event where Jesus came as a man and was a man. No, he grew up. He went through all the suffering of childhood, went through the awkward middle school stage, went through all of that. This was the beginning of his suffering. And not only that, this passage goes further to say that he humbled himself further in obedience unto death, and not just death, but death on a cross. And this leads us into why God came. 
All of this, humiliation coming, was for our salvation and for God's glory as we worship Jesus with all the nations. In the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 33, Job cries out, There is no mediator between us who might lay his hand on us both, as he's talking to God. But Job, cry this out no more. Because one has come who mediates between God and men by being both fully God and fully man. He represents us before God and reveals God to us. He must be man in order to be our substitute. And he must be God in order to forgive our sins. For who can forgive sins but God alone? And this is why Jesus came and humbled himself. Because he had to take on our flesh that he might be our substitute. That he did right and trusted God and obeyed in all the places that we fail to trust God and obey. And not only that, but he also stood in our place to bear the wrath that we deserve on the cross. The cross, the most publicly shaming, humiliating, excruciating torture that man has ever invented. And the one that gave creativity to men who twisted it to use it in this evil way would be crucified by it. But the physical pain of the cross is simply a pointer, not simply a pointer, but it is also a pointer to a greater reality that Jesus endured for us there. He took on all the righteous anger of God against all human wickedness upon himself. The punishment for rape, murder, anger, slander, rage, gossip, selfishness, lying, cheating, idolatry, pride, sexual immorality, and all other evil. All of our sin laid upon him and punished in his flesh. So that all who trust in him and bank on him as their Lord and Savior, as the one who stood in their place, might receive that perfect obedience that he did in our place and the forgiveness of sin. You see, Jesus coming in the manger in Bethlehem in all humility is for the purpose of going into greater humility at Calvary for you and me. And because Jesus came in this way, in all humility, the passage goes on to say that God has highly exalted him. God accepted his sacrificial payment. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he has a name that is above every name. And one day, every single person who has ever lived will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Not all of this will be willing acknowledgement. We heard it tonight in the readings that though some are drawn quickly by God to worship even the infant Jesus as the Magi were, we already see that there's opposition Joseph and Mary and Jesus flee to Egypt. But even this Herod, who tries to kill them, and in the process slaughters innocent children, will one day acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. All will bow the knee to him 
including all of us here tonight, either in humble wonder and worship or in forced acknowledgement prior to judgment. All will bow the knee to Jesus. Now, these two purposes of God in coming, in God coming in the person of Jesus for our salvation and for God's glory come together, as I said, in the worship of Jesus. In our worship of Jesus. You see, all of our obstacles between, all of the obstacles between us and God need to be removed for us to worship God rightly in Jesus. Our sin and rebellion and God's just anger and wrath against that must be removed for us to bring glory to God, which is our salvation. Also, for God's glory, worshiping Jesus is to ascribe worth and glory to Jesus, seeing and loving his glory. So a call to salvation in Jesus is really a call to worship Jesus. If you're a Christian here tonight, you get the privilege of worshiping the God of the universe. The privilege of worshiping the God of the universe. He has welcomed you to the glory of seeing and knowing him in Jesus. To see and know him in Jesus. It's a glorious, glorious thing. And if you're not a Christian, then you stand in opposition to the sovereign king of the universe who will hold all accountable to himself. And you also miss out on the greatest privilege that any person can ever have. Seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's what you were made for. It's what the play of history was written for and why the playwright wrote himself into it, into this grand story. So do you worship him? Do you know him? Will you join in the worship of this God-man, Jesus. He will get all the glory in the praise of the redeemed or in the justice of the damned. But he came that those who trust in him can have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and know him, know his glory, and worship him. So tonight, worship him. Come to him in faith and repentance because he has come to you in humility and suffering. So again, if you want to know what, Jesus, what God is like, look at Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, look at the glory and the humility of Christmas Day, of the Incarnation. But if you want to really know God, not just merely what he's like, place your faith and your trust in Jesus. Love him. Trust him. Worship him. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have made yourself known through Jesus. Lord, the glory of you taking on flesh and coming among us is too much for us to bear. It is wonderful, wonderful news. God, would you get all the glory for this in our hearts and in our lives as we trust you in faith, knowing that you have come to save us and to bring us 
into the worship of you for all eternity. Lord, would that captivate our hearts tonight and tomorrow and every day after that, that we would spend all of our days worshiping the God of the universe by the power of the Holy Spirit in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.